You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. That's where we will, that's where we will be this morning. I just am so thankful for our times together. These times are so, so sacred. It's holy ground for us to be together in the presence of Jesus, amen? I champion the secret place. I champion your own time with the Lord. But there is a very special place in the heart of God for the corporate gathering, for the community gathering. Um, And there's an issue if in our spiritual life uh, there's not other people that we're fleshing it out with. If you are on a spiritual island all by yourself, um, I'm telling you, you're missing part of the Christian life. If, if there's not an, a, a venue of people, community of people to, um, for the love of God and what you're experiencing, the secret place for it to be demonstrated and manifested. So that's just a reality. That needs to be said in this individualistic Western world. Amen? Um, and it has relevance to what we're going to talk about this morning. So First John chapter 4. We're going to talk about the love of God. We all need an encounter with the perfect love of God. And last week we talked about our need for the Holy Spirit in order uh, for us to receive the love of God. And so this morning we're going to exemplify, we're going to, we're going to exalt um, the love of God. There's nothing like it in the universe. And if we're going to endeavor to step into a conversation about the love of God, we need to humble our hearts because the love of God is something very, very infinitely complex. It's not something to um, minimize and make overly simplistic. It's something that should undo our hearts over and over and over in our walks with Jesus. We should be undone before the creator who extended himself towards us and revealed himself in perfection, the person of Jesus Christ. And, and that's why our times together in worship are so rich, because that's what's happening. We're inundated throughout a week with all sorts of other narratives and opinions, and things are exalted as more important. And then we come into the presence of the Lord together as a sacred community, and the love of God washes over us, like these waves of the realities of the love of, of our infinite Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray to humble our hearts if we're going to receive the love of God this morning. Yeah, God, we, we need you. We say it. Could you all say that this morning? We need you, Jesus. It's our prayer. We recognize that knowledge puffs up. And in our world where information so readily available, we can dupe ourselves, we can fool ourselves into thinking we know a lot, when in reality, we really don't know anything, we're just scratching the surface. We are so dependent on you, Spirit of God, to come and lift the veil once again, reveal, reveal Jesus to us again this morning, today, December 17, 2023, reveal, reveal, reveal yourself to us. We need you. We want to be transformed. We want to be a people that look more and more like you. We want to grow in Christ-likeness. And for that to happen, we need your spirit to come and blow through this place, softening our hearts, 
So do what only you can do, King Jesus. Amen. The Lord is so good. So last week we, we started talking through 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, and talked about our need for the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the reason we needed to set that groundwork was because of the context in which, in which this um, passage finds itself. You know, we, we need to read scripture in context. We can't just pick and choose. You can't just Google what you want uh, in terms of a topic and then pull a verse for it to mean uh, whatever you want it to mean. You gotta understand it in the context that it was written. And this, this grand passage on the love of God is written in the context of the potential for great deception because of what John here calls the spirit of the Antichrist. And so there is a great tendency for people to be duped, for people to be tricked, for people to be deceived. And they receive a form of godliness, or a form of religion that's powerless. It's powerless. And throughout this book, John is calling that out. He says, if you think you're without sin, you're a liar, you're deceived. He says, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar, you're deceived. And on and on and on, he repeats those sorts of um, realities that cut to the heart that the, the gospel's purpose is to pierce into our hearts and for G King Jesus to begin to take um, the place on the throne of our hearts and to rule and reign in increasing measure in our life. That's good news. Less of us, more of him. Less of, less of us, more of him. It's good news. And so we need the spirit of God to make things plain, to make things clear. Otherwise, we easily become duped and we receive something so much lesser. It's something in the form of religion. It's in the form of um, just dead works. It's what the world offers us. But Jesus comes to transform and to set free. And at the center of it is this manifestation, this demonstration of the love of God. It means everything for us. And so Holy Spirit comes and he lifts this veil from our eyes so we realize how good God is, that our experiences in this world, which have been difficult, which a lot of us would summarize as not so good, that's been our experience on this earth. We experience tragedy, crisis, brokenness, suffering, pain. And so we all become these just cynical, broken people. And then our eyes turn to the Lord because of the goodness of the Holy Spirit. And we realize God is good. And my perception of things has been awfully wrong. And we realize God has done absolutely everything to rescue us from our misery. And, and then he pulls us up from that. He plucks us up from it. And he places us in a kingdom. And everything is revolutionized from that day forward because we're placed in a kingdom. We rule and reign with Christ. And we're given authority. And, and there's no reason to have a bad day from that, from that moment forward. Like we are filled with joy every day because of the goodness of Christ. And that becomes our strength. No matter who stabs us in the back, who betrays us, who slashes our tires that week, it doesn't matter. God is good. He's, he rules and reigns in our hearts. And I'm fired up this morning. God is good. We're going to talk about the love of God, which is very, very complex. Us beginning to talk about the love of God is 
is like explaining electricity to a child or explaining the sun or the cosmos. Actually, Tozer is the one who said, explaining the love of God is like explaining a star to a child. So the best thing that you can do is just go out into a field and point up to the sky and say, see that, that's a star. Look how it twinkles brightly. It burns. That's a star. That's what it is to begin to expound on the love of God. Tozer said it like this, by reaching toward the star, the child may call attention to it and even indicate the direction one must look to see it. So as I stretch my heart toward the high shining love of God, someone who has not before known about it may be encouraged to look up and have hope as well. We do not know and we may never know what love is, but we can know how it manifests itself. And that is enough for us here. So let us not fool ourselves into thinking that we understand love because we don't fully understand love. We understand it to the extent that it's been revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And we need to have an encounter with that perfect love of God over and over and over. It's the grand invitation that we're given as Christ followers to encounter the love of God day by day. It's why Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus. I pray that you may have strength to comprehend, as as it is with all the saints, the height and the length and the width and the depth of of the knowledge of the love of God, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's his prayer for the church, is that they may have a supernatural strength outside of themselves to understand the love of God in its infinitude, that it may wash over them, that they may be filled with the fullness of God. Our little finite beings may be filled with the fullness of God only by the spirit of God. That's that's why Paul prayed that. It's because we can't fully understand it. We're invited into a a lifelong journey of, of understanding. So why do we need an encounter with the perfect love of God? That's what we're gonna answer this morning. Let's look at 1 John chapter four, verse seven. We read it last week, but we'll, we'll read it again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So we've been born again by the Spirit of God. Take note of how many times the word love is in here. It's 27 times. This is, you know, there's 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. This is right up there with it as the great... Uh, Exposition on the love of God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins or the atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, though, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know God and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have, we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And we talked about this in 1 John chapter 3. The need for the love of God to transcend just our minds, for it to impact our hearts so that it actually, actually can be demonstrated in our day-to-day lives. It ha- it's, a, it's a must of the Christian life. There's no such thing as a theory of love out here in the ethereal, in our minds only. It actually, actually has to be demonstrable on Monday morning. Otherwise, it's not real. And that's what John is contending for in, the, in believers. And we talked about that in 1 John chapter 3. The standard of that is God himself. How do we know what love is? Oh yeah, God laid down his life for us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is, how, this, is the, this is the definition of love now. This is the standard of love. It's, it's Christ himself coming and sacrificially demonstrating for us love and what it, what it looks like. That's the standard, and that's what God is contending for your life. And there are some challenging verses in here. The love of God being perfected in us us being made perfect through the love of God. That's the Lord's intention for you, is upward and onward towards him in greater Christ-likeness and greater and greater maturity, that you'd look more and more like God. You'd bear, bear the image of Christ. That's the Lord's intention for your life. For you to love your spouse better, for you to love your neighbor better, for you to love your kids better, That doesn't come just through trying harder, although you should try harder, but it comes through an encounter with his perfect love. It comes through him conquering our hearts and the the old man dying because of the victorious love of Christ, ruling and reigning, convincing us so so that we can reckon the old man dead. And now we are alive in Christ as a new creation. It only comes by the Spirit of God. This is now the lifestyle we're invited into. So so why do we need an encounter with the perfect love of God? Well, because first of all, love is who God is. God is love. He says it twice here. John tells us that. God is love. So whatever you thought about love, it needs to now be redefined in the person of Christ. Whatever definition of love you've adopted through your life on this earth, set it aside and look to Christ. 
Look to the Lord. Allow him to convince you of what true love is. God is love. What does that mean? He says it twice. It must be important. What does it mean that God is love? It doesn't mean that God is only love. There's something in the theological world called the unity of God, which means that God doesn't have to set aside one attribute to exemplify another attribute. So God is love at all times, always. And he is always holy. He doesn't set aside one to be another. And he is always just. So there are some primary attributes of God, others being his sovereignty and his um, omnipresence and his omniscience. And these are primary attributes of God of which he is all the time, each one of those. And he doesn't sacrifice one for another. So in our culture that has a completely wrong understanding of love, it is a selfish, humanistic, godless love of our age. That's why we had to spend so much time on the beginning of 1 John chapter 4 about the spirit of the age and the spirit of the Antichrist. Because there's a complete hijacking of the reality of love in this world. And because of that, it has to be said. Because some people take those three words, God is love, and that becomes their bumper sticker, that becomes their slogan for their life. They can embrace that part of God. Well, God is not a vending machine. You can't just take parts of him. He is love, just as he is holy, just as he is perfectly just, just as he is sovereign and omniscient and omnipresent. He is love. It also doesn't mean that love is God. For the same reasons in this world, people exalt love as God. Which then again becomes a a humanistic, selfish sort of way for people to make God into an image of us rather than us being transformed in the image of God. So verse nine says it, In this, the love of God was made manifest among you. So if we're going to have a definition and understanding of love, we look to the Lord and the way he demonstrated it. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is now the de facto definition of love. This is the standard of love. This is now how we begin to understand love. Don't think about how your parents failed you or how you... Uh, how your romances disappointed you in this world or superficial realities of love in this fallen world. No, we look now to the Son, the manifestation of God being love. It's the ultimate revelation. And if that is the reality, that God is love and the Son of God being manifest on the earth of which we're celebrating this time of year is the demonstration of that. I want to tell you, this needs to be personal. This revelation of the love of God being manifest, demonstrated through His Son coming to earth to pursue us, it needs to be personal. Let's say it's one of the greatest things about you is knowing who you are before the Lord, that you are loved by God. 
So I have to ask you that question. Is it personal? Do you know that you are loved by God? If someone was to ask, who are you? Tell me about yourself. Would that be right up there? Are you convinced of it in your heart? Because I can't convince you. Your spouse can't convince you. It has to be something that you encounter for yourself. This changes everything. This changes our paradigm of, of everything around us and the way we see things. And this is the, a key to the victorious Christian life is knowing personally the love of God. If you're loved by God, no one can stop you. No one can come against someone who has been undone by the love of God. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 113. Where in it, the psalmist says that the Lord himself lifts the poor from the ashes. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Lifts the poor from the dust, lifts, lifts the needy from the ash heap. And he places them with princes, the princes of his people. A beautiful description of what the Lord has done in the person of Jesus Christ. He lifted us from the ash heap that we were discarded in in this world and of which we, made, we contributed to ourselves and he propped us up in a kingdom, a victorious kingdom and he placed upon us not just forgiveness and a clean conscience but authority and a place to have purpose. That's the good news of Christ and this needs to be personal for us. A personal encounter with the perfect love of God. So understanding love doesn't start by looking at us, it starts by looking at the Lord. Thomas Merton said, surrender your poverty and acknowledge your nothingness to the Lord. Look to the Lord. God is love. Let me just pray this over us before we move on. Lord, I pray over every heart for a personal encounter with your love. Spirit of God, we, we said it together as a church family last week because of your word that we need your spirit. And so there are some here this morning that for some reason excuse themselves from the realities, the implications of you coming. You coming and willingly giving yourself on the cross. Showing your victory over sin in the grave through the resurrection. The love you demonstrated through the sending of your spirit. So God, I pray this morning would be a special morning where individuals encounter your love for themselves personally. That individuals would be able to walk out of this place knowing they're forgiven, they're loved by the Lord. It changes everything. And I speak that over my church family this morning in your name, amen. God is love. Why do we need an encounter with the love of God? Because it's who he is. He is love. Second is this. It's because his perfect love drives away all fear. Fear is the mechanism of survival. 
that's ingrained in us. So we're born into a fallen world and it is nitty and gritty and, um, and survival is the name of the game until we encounter the love of God and it changes everything. Then we realize we're cared for. We are, we're loved, we're provided for, we are protected by this amazingly heavenly father and it changes everything. So now there's, there's no reason for us to fear. So what kind of fear does he set us free from? Let's look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That should, that should cut to our heart a bit as we feel fear and anxiety well up in our hearts. That should sober us into an invitation. That should kind of woo our hearts and into an invitation that the Lord's best for us is for fear not to continue to rule and reign. For fear not to continue to have a foothold in our life. Not to have a stronghold in our life. The Lord's best for you is for his love to be perfected in us. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So every time that you feel a tinge of fear, know that the Lord has an answer. It's his perfect love. Every time you feel that anxiety of insecurity, anxiety of what is to come, anxiety of what's out of your control, know, one, that the Lord sees it, because he's love, that was point number one. But two, he has an answer for it. And he took care of it. In fact, he conquered it. He conquered fear. So his perfect love drives away fear. What kind of fear? Well, first and foremost, in the context of this passage, it's fear of judgment. Fear of judgment to come. We said it, you know, one of the attributes, one of the primary attributes of God is that God is just. We are born into a world of cause and effect, sowing and reaping. And that all points to God's justice. That there is a, a payment due for actions. And so there's now in Christ no reason for us to fear the judgment to come. Why? Because of our good works? Because of how you did last week? Because how, how loud you sang during worship? How many people you told about Jesus? No. Those things are our fragrant offering to the Lord in love. Those things are our delight to give to him and to, to offer to him. But those things don't drive away fear. They don't answer for judgment. The only thing is the sufficiency of Christ himself. It's the only thing that can answer for the judgment to come. So we have no fear because we look to perfect Jesus and we realize he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We realize he is the sufficient, he is the sufficient Lamb of God, the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And so our hearts are at rest. We realize there's nothing I can do to save myself. There's nothing I can do to actually come into the presence of God and, and boast, but, but rather it's only in Christ alone. And, and then fear turns to joy. Fear turns to peace. Fear turns to rest. Amen? Amen. There is no fear in love, and that's why. It's because of his sufficiency. 
He took care of it once and for all. He's not going to the cross again. He did it once and for all. And, and we point and look, we turn the eyes of our heart towards that moment in human history and it changes everything. Now there is no fear in love because we are undone by his love and realize that it's all about him and it's all for him and he's more than enough. So it's, it releases us from the fear of judgment. It drives, drives that away. We quickly discern between condemnation and conviction. We realize conviction is this drawing love of the Lord that's calling us into perfection. We always now hear conviction as this invitation. Hey, you're a son, you're a daughter. I've made you for more than this. I'm calling you upward towards me. Like, why are you playing around with the, the poop that I, I rescued you from? You know, the ash heap, the, the King James Version of Psalm 113 says he, he raised the poor from the dunghill. That's why I said that. He, ra he raises the poor from the dunghill and places us with princes in a kingdom. But we do that, right? We go back to the, the old things that, that he rescued us from. And what happens there? His loving conviction pierces our hearts. Doesn't condemn us, but he calls us up out of that. And he says, you're made for more than that. You're my son, you're my daughter. And we rise up out of that, the clean conscience, looking towards the Lord, leaning into his grace all the more, leaning into his strength to empower us for today and experiencing his victory. where condemnation speaks that identity over us and makes us look at ourselves and wallow in self-pity and wallow in shame. And in that place, there's a whole lot of fear because we've taken our eyes off of the sufficiency of Christ. So there is no fear in love. As we look at his perfect love, it drives away this fear of judgment. It also drives away the fear of man for the same reason, because of the sufficiency of Christ. There's no reason for us to fear what other people think because we're not living to measure up to their expectations. We're living for the glory of the lamb who saved us, for, for the savior that rescued us. So we have no fear of what people think of us and their opinions. Thirdly, it drives away the fear of the irrational, things that are out of our control. This is so common in this day and age. But the reason I say that, even in the context of this passage, is because God is relational. So his perfect love drives away fear of the irrational because God is relational. I'm not a rapper, but there's a, there's a, there's a rhyme, there's a, there's a flow there to that. He drives away the fear of the things that are out of our control. That's, that's the root of anxiety. Is anxiety is always this irrational clinging to irrational worries, things that are outside of our control. You can, you, can you can right away know that's not of the Lord. That's not in the realm of this God who is love. His perfect love drives that away. Why? Because he is relational. Because he truly is a good father. The whole context of this passage is the spirit of God bridging the gap between the infinite infinitude of the eternal God of the cosmos and sovereign Lord of all, bridging the gap between that and us as time-bound created beings. 
So God's intention is for us to have relationship with us. And that means he rescues us from the irrational, from irrational fears and anxiety related to uh, just things that are illogical and out of our control. He rescues us from that time and time again. We surrender the, those things to the Lord. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not minimizing anxiety. I'm not minimizing worry. But Christ speaks to it for a reason. He says, don't worry like the world worries. They worry about what they're going to wear and what they're going to eat. Don't worry. Your heavenly Father knows And right there, the perfect love of God rescues us from our anxiety, rescues us from that worry, drives away that fear and gives us an invitation into his perfect love because he is relational. Amen? I pray this over you. This is tangible. This is real. This is not theory. This is for our everyday lives. The fear being a thing of of the past and the Lord rescuing us from that. I had a real uh, significant encounter with the, the fruit of this in my life um, just three years ago. And I've shared this story a number of times, but I, I share this to boast in the Lord. Um, but a, a number of years ago, or th- three years ago specifically, I had a friend who was a missionary in Alaska and he asked me, if you, if you were gonna die, what, what would be your, like, your, the worst way you could die? in your mind. Like, what do you, what is like the the way you're most afraid of dying? And uh, it was just a truck full of guys. And so he asked a manly question. And um, in the moment, the first thing that came to me was drowning. Drowning has always been, one, I'm not a great swimmer. uh, But two, there is just something about the helpless feeling of, um, of a moment like that, that just really gets in my head and uh, messes with me. And so I always felt like drowning would be the worst way to die. So that was my answer. Well, so fast forward four days from there, um, I find myself in a lake trying to rescue an inflatable that's getting blown across the lake and um, made a number of bad decisions. And I find myself in a really help, helpless situation, tangled up with lily pad, uh, seaweed, or lake weeds, and uh, in a helpless situation, calling out for help. Um, and, and what becomes, you know, what was honestly just a, a regular, normal day at the lake turned into uh, what seemed to be a tragedy. And in that day, I sank to the bottom of the lake. And I, the bottom of the lake, what I was met with was the peace of God. Honest to the Lord. And I shared the first part about my confession to my friend so that I can boast in the Lord. But at the bottom of the lake, I did not have the fear that I assumed I would have. I did not have the, the sense of helpless, um, I, I don't know what I thought I would feel, but I, I did not have that. The bottom of the lake, honest before the Lord, I felt peace that surpasses understanding. And I surrendered myself to the Lord. I said, 35 years on this earth you've given me, Lord, and that's, and I'm, I'm gonna be with you. And I surrendered myself, Lord. But then I also had the thoughts about my kids and my, my wife. And so I made it another attempt to go all the way to the top of the, to the surface of the water. I had the strength to do that three times, where I'd go to the top and I'd sink to the bottom of the lake, did that three times. And that's the last thing I remember. Then I went unconscious. And uh, next thing I knew, I was in an ambulance 
My father-in-law had rescued me miraculously. Um, but I share that to boast in the sufficiency of Christ, to drive away fear. Even beyond what you think you are uh, experiencing in this world, I'm telling you, Christ is taking you somewhere into a life that actually has tangible fruit of victory and maturity and um, yeah, tangible expressions of his victorious love, conquering your heart. So four days earlier, I, assumed, I would have assumed that I would have failed that test. But in that moment, what I experienced was an extravagant expression of the love of God towards me to, have, to experience peace. And I say, praise God, glory to God. Why else do we need to encounter the perfect love of God? One, because, one was because he is love. Second, it's because his perfect love drives away fear. Third, it's because his love perfects us. His love perfects us. This is his relational mechanism to uh, form in us the Christ-like image that we were meant to carry. I could reread most of this passage to summarize this, but I won't. Just look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So anytime you have a selfless expression of love towards your spouse or towards your kids, towards your neighbor, that's the, the perfect love of God being displayed in your life. That is not normal. We already talked about the survival way of the world. The way of the world is for you to look out for numero uno. It's to look out for yourself and yourself alone. You don't look, about, look out for anybody. But the love of God begins to win over your heart. And everything changes. Love of, love of God begins to be perfected in you and through you and expressed in your life. Praise God. And it's not, that's not to say that it's only Christians who can display this sort of selfless love. It all comes from him. It all, any selfless display of love has its origination in the God of eternity. He goes on to say, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we've, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. He's beginning to convince your heart of that. He's beginning to, um, for you to more and more come into alignment in greater and greater mature faith in the perfect love of God. And then he says, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. That is the Lord's will for your life is for his perfect love to conquer your heart more and more and more and to be displayed and on display in your life in greater and greater realities. Amen? This is what John has been contending for throughout this book. He says, if we love God, we have to love others. If we say we know God, we have to obey his commands. John is resolute in coming against a form of Christianity that would remain in theory only. Our Christian life has to go beyond our status online, beyond our titles that we hold, that we claim. 
There has to be a tangible reality to it. That's why I contend for all of us to every once in a while do an inventory in our life. Is our spouse experiencing the love of God through my life? Are my kids experiencing the love of God through my life, the sacrificial love of Christ through my, through my life? If that pierces, that's conviction, okay? If you're in Christ, that's conviction. That's an invitation from the Lord to say it's, it's his will for your life to be perfected continually by, by his perfect love and for his perfect love to then be on display in your life in greater and greater fashion. That's his will for your life. I'm gonna invite Scott to come forward to the keys and we will close here soon. This is not natural. And so if the love of God is going to be perfected in our lives, we don't start by the spirit and then continue on in the flesh. We start by the spirit of God and we continue by, by the spirit of God. We start by grace and we continue by grace. It's all by grace. And so every single day we're given this very humbling invitation for the, for the perfect love of God to woo our hearts, to overwhelm our hearts, and for that love to then be on display to our friends, our family, our coworkers, Monday through Saturday. That's his will for your life. There's some real challenging words here in this passage regarding the perfection of God. That's where he's taking you. Another word for it is sanctification. The Lord is doing a perfect work in you of which he's gonna bring to completion eventually. You may feel like you're a long ways away from it. I know I oftentimes do. But we look to the perfect work of Christ and his sufficiency, allow that to be the crowning jewel of our lives, allow that to be the like defining substance of our life in greater and greater degrees. And that brings us somewhere. It brings us up towards his beautiful, glorious intentions for our life. And he transforms us. Transforms us. In the crucible of life, through trials, through tribulations, till we receive our reward, which is our sanctification. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.